Hi there, and welcome to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and I want to thank you so much for being here and tuning in and getting the resources that you need to naturally recover your child from their symptoms of autism. And recovery being the definition is to regain health, and that's what it's about because your child can sleep better, they can focus better in a classroom and improve their grades. Uh, children who have been nonverbal are, are speaking and things like this are happening when you heal the biology. And that's what's really important to know is that recovery is about regaining health. And that health allows some of those uncomfortable sy- symptoms of autism to be reduced and for some, like my son, go away altogether. And I was told wants to drug my son and try behavioral therapies, and that would be all we could do for him, just managing symptoms. But um, my holistic background uh, showed me that the brain could heal, and I wanted to figure out what the causes were. And thankfully, I dug deep, and now 14 years later, again, my son is fully recovered, and I really want to help you to reach your child's optimum level of recovery. Right now, only twice a year, I offer my free Autism Recovery Masterclass, and it's going on now for just a few more days. And you can grab these short videos that I've put up for you uh, to help educate you on what the natural recovery process is and what you can do for your child and how I can help you with that as well. And that is at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash masterclass. And please share it with anybody you know who might be interested as well. It's open for anybody. And again, it's only on for a few more days. Once you register, you'll have those videos available for 24-7. But again, it will be going down in just a few more days. So make sure you don't delay uh, in watching it. Uh, Today, we are going to be talking about a very interesting subject that has uh, that's very, very helpful for autism, and that is genetic testing in autism and other neurodevelopmental disorders. And we're very fortunate to have Dr. Richard G. Bowles with us again today. He's been on the show in the past. If you missed that one, I'll link to it in today's show notes. But uh, we talked about mitochondrial disorders in the past and Dr. Bowles is an expert in autism. I'll give you a little bit of his background just so you can uh, know a little bit more about him. Dr. Richard Bowles is a medical geneticist and a pediatrician who specializes in mitochondrial medicine, functional disease, including cyclic vomiting syndrome, other atypical forms of migraine and chronic fatigue syndrome, and autism spectrum disorders. His expertise stems from decades of both clinical work and research at a major academic center, as well as from his most recent experience in cutting-edge biotechnology and genomics. He uses an innovative and integrative approach in both diagnosis and treatment to best service patients, and he treats children and young adults up to age 25 with a variety of conditions, but his main focuses are mitochondrial disease and dysfunction, autism spectrum disorders, complicated migraine and cyclic vomiting syndrome, and chronic fatigue and chronic chronic pain. Dr. Bowles has a private practice in Pasadena, California, and uh, his website is molecularmitomd.com. I will be um, linking to everything we discussed today on the show notes page that I have created for you. It will be at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 54, just the numbers 54. So that's where you'll find everything today um, for today's notes. Uh, in case you're driving your car or you're out on your morning walk listening to this. So welcome, Dr. Bowles, and thank you again for being here with us. Oh, thank you very much for having me again. 
And so let's dive right in. Um, you're an expert in this field, and it's something that a lot of parents really need to know more about. And I know that genetic testing has improved dramatically over the years in terms of really what it can offer families and and at a better, much better price than it used to be at. And, you know, what are some of the things that families should know when they consider genetic testing? Well, genetic testing has changed incredibly dramatically over the last 10 years. Even over the last two years, there's been dramatic changes in the field. Um, it's completely changed the way that I practice medicine. Um, beforehand, genetic testing was not that powerful, and it was very expensive, hard to get, and we used to make diagnoses, and then we'd try to confirm it by genetic testing, if at all possible. Now everything's changed, so now I do the genetic testing first. Um, at the same time that I see the patient to really understand the disease process and what's bothering the patient and the family and to connect that to the genes from the very beginning to make diagnoses. So it really has turned everything upside down in terms of my practice and um, other practices as well. And I know there's some, you know, sometimes seen as problems that genetic testing is being used to solve, like better understanding things as far as autism. So what might be a reason that somebody would say they want to do genetic testing initially? And at what ages do you usually suggest it? At any age? Well, um, yes, at any age at all. Um, autism is a... I mean, it's a diagnosis based upon observation, and it's a description, which almost all of our diagnoses are description. I mean, even things like diabetes just means teased a lot, really, literally. Um, asthma, you wheeze. Um, depression, you're depressed. These, they might have exact criteria used for diagnosis, and they sound scientific, but all the things that we have really in diagnoses are just description. And there are certain things that kids with autism have in common, such as I discussed at the last show, the vast majority have mitochondrial dysfunction, and therefore addressing that can help most, if not all, kids with autism and adults to some extent. But the underlying cause as to why an individual has autism or anything anywhere near the spectrum is really quite different in each individual. And to try to treat what's going on and to correct it, and in some cases to re remove the autism diagnosis, as you mentioned with your son, um, you really under have to understand not just the autism in general, but why your child has autism, uh, which is different than the next child, because there are so many different reasons as to why. The causes of autism are, are very great in terms of the, of the scope. Pretty much anything which affects the development or the function of a brain is likely to be a risk factor in autism. Um, why does one person get autism while another person will get another neurological or even non-neurological disease? Depends on the rest of the genetics and the environment. But to understand what are the stresses on the brain um, really helps to direct treatment directly. So I recommend for anybody with any neurodevelopmental disorder, whether they're on the spectrum, off the spectrum, near the spectrum, um, whether they're completely different, such as even intellectual disability, epilepsy, any sort of neurodevelopmental disorder at any age, that genetic testing is helpful because you really need to know what's going on if you really want to treat it exactly.
Well, and I know even for foods, dietary things can change so drastically depending on what your child's uh, susceptibilities are. And uh, even just a child taking methyl B12, they they need methyl B12, but some are hypersensitive to it in the beginning because they're poor methylators. And so things like that are really important to know and varied uh, histamine sensitivities, et cetera. So, um, so yeah, it's uh, it, it can be really helpful to know um, you know, how to uh, feed your child and things that they're sensitive to and so that you can work to strengthen their system and then maybe uh, those susceptibilities can can actually strengthen a little bit. We're actually going to take a short break right here, but we're going to dive right back into this when we come back from this break. Um, you're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas. Stay with us. We will be right back. Have you ever wondered why some children recover from their symptoms of autism while others never seem to get any better? After 13 years of research, Karen Thomas has recovered her own son from his symptoms of autism naturally. She now shares how she did it with you in her free webinar so that you can have the right resources and knowledge to help your child. The definition of recovery is to regain health. Karen offers this to you in four stages. Healing the gut, natural heavy metal detoxification, balancing the co-infections of autism, brain support, and repair. Register now for this free webinar to help you know what you can do to help your child to sleep better, be more calm, improve focus, and reach their fullest potential to live a happy, healthy life. Go to naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop. Empowering parents with the resources to naturally recover autism from a Hi there and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and today we have Dr. Richard uh, Bowles with us, and we're talking about genetic testing as it results uh, as it's uh, associated with autism especially and before the break we were talking about you know various things that affect stressors on the brain because dr. Bowles, I know that um, that basically genes are just they're a blueprint that we're born with and and some kids two kids can have very similar genetics or, or even the same but something has to trigger a gene as well and so by doing these genetic testings, can you give us an example of, you know, what that information might 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 tell a parent, what they could do with that information? Well, first of all, you're very correct in that even identical twins, one can have autism and one not. That does happen from time to time. And so there's more than just genetics. Don't think of genetics as the fates in ancient Greece that cut the string when your time is gone and there's nothing you can do about it. Think of genetics as the hand that you're dealt with in a poker game. Is knowing your hand allows you to play your hand to the best of its potential. But whoever's going to win the hand is not just based on the cards that you're drawing, but how you play it. So genetics just doesn't give you, you know, what's going to happen. There's nothing you can do about it. It gives you power and, and knowledge as to how best to, to deal with the situation, how to play your hand, in other words. I can give you a lot of examples of patients that have gotten better. I've seen kids that were unable to to go anywhere. The parents could never take the child anywhere. Like going out to dinner would be completely out of the question. They couldn't even get a babysitter. One of the parents had to be home with the child at all times. Once we found the diagnosis, there's one kid I'm thinking of in particular, Carter. We found the diagnosis and him put him on a medication. Um, sometimes the treatments are pharmaceutical, sometimes they're natural, sometimes there's something else. 
Um, and on that, he was dramatically better to the point that he no longer was fighting with his siblings. He was much more alert. Um, he was able to go to dinner and actually sit down at the table and eat and not cause trouble. Um, because the, there's a nationwide shortage of the medication, a few times he cycled off of it, and each time he reverted back to his previous situation. So there are situations in which finding the cause you know, can make a tremendous difference. Sometimes it's not as dramatic as that. I know this one child, we found the cause of autism, and I really can't do that much about it. But the thing that was driving the parents crazy the most is he would wake up at 2 o'clock every morning. And from 2 to around 4 or 5 in the morning, he would be very active and cause trouble. And the, a, a parent would have to be up with him like, for three hours every night. And it was very difficult for them to keep a, a, a job and to take care of the child during the day. Um, I found a mutation in a gene which makes melatonin. Um, he didn't do very well with melatonin in the past, but that's because he really didn't have any melatonin and the doses that we use in the supermarket are, were too high for him. So we used just an incredibly trace amount of melatonin and he slept fine without never had this trouble again. So it really does make a difference. Sometimes you can make a difference in the autism. Sometimes you can make a difference in other issues. A lot of these kids will have fatigue or pain or GI problems. Sometimes finding the molecular diagnosis, the genetic diagnosis doesn't change the autism dramatically, but the pain goes away or the fatigue improves or the GI problems improve greatly. And so the behavior can change because the child is much more comfortable now. Sometimes it does make a huge difference. I know this one um, young man was, he was nonverbal, he would say words, but he was really repeating things like a parrot, um, found a mutation in him, which is probably not the main cause of his autism, but likely contributing towards it, put him on a medication, and then thereafter, he was actually speaking in full sentences. So, I mean, sometimes it's dramatic, sometimes it's more subtle, but finding the underlying cause is often very helpful. Absolutely. And I find, um, you know, food is medicine, getting the toxins out, getting the inflammation, the co-infections and things like that. Have you found, because you're talking a lot of medications, which you've said it can be both. It can be um, sometimes natural and sometimes medications. Have you, um, I've seen tremendous results with uh, with doing the, the biomedical and doing natural approaches to really detoxifying and really getting the inflammation and things down so that there's not, there aren't as many stressors on the body. Have you worked, do you work with that too? Well, I work with a lot of the biomedical doctors where I help them to identify the genes so that they can better target their therapy. Um, as a geneticist, my practice is a little bit different, but that doesn't mean that, you know, I, I don't use those things or particularly, um, to um, send my patients the referral to those doctors to look at that more. But sometimes the genetics can help on that. We may find a gene which predicts toxicity to a certain environmental substance. And so you can be very careful to remove that particular substance from the environment. Sometimes it shows that a particular vitamin or mineral is deficient uh, or an enzyme which needs that is the problem. So you can give very large amounts. So on top of just generalized nutrition, you can give very large amounts of one particular vitamin or mineral, and it can make a big difference. There's 23,000 genes, and each gene generally does many different things. And so the type of decision-making based upon genetics is extremely complicated. 
it's not like the genetics is deciding between one, two, ten, or even a hundred different possibilities, but there are tens of thousands of different possibilities that could come up based upon what the genetic results show. Right. I've seen that there are 800 genes that are specifically associated with autism. Is, is that the note? I've, I've read that and researched it that out of 23,000, I'm sure though that is maybe just something more specific to autism. Whereas you're saying these, these things that you're talking about too, of course they can trigger it. I mean, if you're really low in methyl B12, your gut's not working, your gut then isn't affecting your brain properly. I mean, you know, things that can be sort of a domino effect as well. So there are direct and then indirect effects of these genes on the biology in that way and behaviors then, correct? Um, yes, except for 800 is probably a low estimate. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be 800 that are very well established, but there are thousands which have been implemented in autism. It's really, as I mentioned before, is a very large number of genes which are important for building or maintaining the brain. If the if those genes are not there, then the brain has an, an issue that it needs to deal with to maintain homeostasis, to make people quote-unquote normal. It needs to find alter- alternate routes. And if there's enough variants and enough genes plus enough environmental problems, it's unable to compensate. You lose homeostasis, and then you develop a disease, which may be autism and maybe something else or a combination. Right. And we see with, you know, there are a lot more environmental toxins in, in our environment today. And uh, the rise in autism has uh, has gone up dramatically. So, um, you know, it seems that there's a factor there. We're, we're going to actually take a short break right here. Maybe we'll jump into that when we come back. Um, you're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas. Stay with us. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas. And today we are talking with Dr. Richard Bowles on genetic testing options for your children with autism. And before the break, we were talking a little bit about how it's, it's really both genetic and environmental components that trigger autism. And no two people anywhere are, are exactly the same. Even in, uh, as you mentioned, Dr. Bowles, that uh, identical twins can have one, one of them can end up with autism and the other not. And, and I know that that has to do with various compounds in the environment and, um, and, and genetics. So maybe you want to touch on that a little bit, but I'd, I'd also like to know what, if a parent's considering it, considering genetic, genetic testing, the pros and cons and what they might really get out of it. Well, one thing I want to mention is that our ways of thinking are not really against each other, but synergistic. You're very um, attuned to environmental toxins and other environmental issues in autism, and I applaud for that. Uh, because there's, the genetics are your, are your blueprints, but they don't say what's going to happen. They say your risks. And risks depend on the environment, on the situation. And they're, for genetic disease, usually... There are triggers, and those triggers are often environmental, and they can be toxins. So my being a geneticist is not really opposed to any of that. I'm looking for the underlying genetic predisposition. Why does one child have trouble with lead while another child has trouble with um, a compound in insecticide, and another one will have a difficulty with a plastic? These are usually genetic differences. So understanding your genetic differences also can help you identify which toxins to remove from the environment. We're really at the infancy of this, but this is an area that's growing, and I suspect that in the future will become much more important in clinical care. 
But so you need to know your genetics and your environment, and one doesn't take away from the other. There's no pure genetic and no pure environmental causes of autism. If there are any, they're very far and few between. Causes are the relationship between the interaction of environment and genetics. Well, that makes sense. So, you know, I know there are a lot of different testing out there, too. How, how does a parent know which test to do? Uh, who reads that test, I know, has a, has a lot of impact on, um, you know, somebody who's really knowledgeable to help under, help the parent understand it. Sometimes a parent is just handed a genetic test and, you know, it, it's a foreign. It just looks like, you know, might as well written in Greek, you know. So how does a parent know what, you know, which test to consider and some of the pros and cons of each? Can you, can you give us some background? on that? Oh, certainly. Um, the problem is, is that the, the vast majority of the physicians don't understand either, including the vast majority of physicians working on autism, because they're not geneticists, and genetics has changed so dramatically. I mean, I changed what I do from a year ago, and I changed a year ago what I did from a year before that. As testing becomes more powerful and less expensive, we order more and more powerful testing on patients and interpret them. So to give you an example, um, some, a lot of people out there, a lot of physicians out there are still ordering panels. And insurance companies love panels, and I don't understand why, because then when the panel comes back negative, or even if it finds something, you then have to look at all the genes, because just because you found something on the genetics doesn't mean that's the most important cause. And even if it is the most important, it doesn't say that that's the treatable cause. Most patients with autism are polygenic, meaning there's several different genes that are related to their disease, and polyenvironmental. It's what we call multifactorial. You need to look at all of the genetics to find all of the genetic components that you can, and each and every one is an opportunity for treatment. So I really am happy when I see many different variants on a patient and many different genes, because each variant is another opportunity to possibly intervene with what's going on. So some of the academic centers are now offering whole exome sequencing. That seems to be the go-to test now for the major academic centers. The, and whole exome testing with WES is to sequence all 23,000 or so genes. And that's an extremely powerful method. And a year ago, I was doing that. But now I almost always do whole genome testing. Only about 2% of the DNA codes for protein, and the other 98% is not just junk. Some of it may be, but most of it does something, and we sequence that as well. Um, it gives you a lot more power. It's, although most of the mutations are in the exome and you can find by whole exome, is there's a, a large growing number of mutations outside of the exome. And as we sequence more and more genomes, we're finding far, far more mutations. Plus, when you do whole genome sequencing, you get everything. You get mitochondrial DNA, which is really important. Um, as I discussed in the talk, um, the last one I gave, you get pharmacogenetics. So it can tell you which drugs are likely to be helpful at what dose. Um, some kids or adults, you give them the usual dose and they have horrible side effects because they cannot break down that drug. So a very small dose is, uh, it can be very helpful in that patient. On the other hand, they may be a hyper metabolizer and the usual dose does nothing whatsoever. You need much a higher dose. So you can see that one patient can be seen have side effects and another one can, can be erroneously thought to have no effect for the drug. 
just because the wrong dose was used. But you also get um, the structural integrity of the genome so that you can look for deletions and duplications, the same sort of thing that you used to get on a chromosomal microarray, but far more powerful. And it's just over, and you get trinucleotide repeats, such as Fragile X. So whole genome sequencing, it costs more money, but you get everything. And if you were to order all these tests that you need to have independently, the cost would add up to even higher than just whole genome. So whole genome, because it sounds more uh, thorough, is actually uh, more specific, but it's exactly what you need. So you had mentioned whole genome testing and then whole genome sequencing is with WES. Is that Are those the same thing? Yeah, there's a lot of synonyms on there. I, I usually just say genome as well. Okay, um, so WGS. And as you, yes, as you mentioned, doctors might be everything. using these panels, but you're, you're saying that a parent should ask for whole, uh, whole genome sequencing testing? Is that, is that how they would word it? Well, whole genome is the gold standard now, in my opinion, but most places don't order that. And it's less expensive, again, because it's less expensive to do everything in one test than it is to add up all the individual tests and pay for each one separately. And individually, if you add them all up, you still don't get all the way to whole genome. So you get more for less money. Um, a lot of places won't do that, or that's not what they generally do. But I find that it's really becoming the, the standard. The other thing is there won't be a geneticist like me that says, oh, that's so last year. We need to increase what you're doing. We're going to take a short break right here. Uh, you're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Stay with us. We'll be right back, and we'll jump right back into uh, this discussion. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and today we are talking with Dr. Richard Bowles about uh, genetic testing with autism. Before the break, we were, we were talking about various genome testing, whole, whole genome and sequencing testing. And Dr. Bowles, you're talking about um, you know how these are, are read in some some doctors and places that you might go don't know exactly, um, you know, how to read them properly or don't know about the current research. So we definitely want to get into some of the pros and cons a little bit more. But I, I was wondering, too, if you're testing the child, is there a benefit previously to chat testing parents or do you wait and test the parents when you see a, an issue with either a parent already or a, a child later on, maybe a child has autism, is there a benefit in testing the whole family? Well, we used to do that. We used to test the child and then get the parent's DNA if we needed it. But it turns out it's almost always needed, and it gives incredible power to have the parent's DNA as well. The main reason is to, to look for what we call de novo mutations, which is just Latin for new. It's about one-third of autism, and equal amounts or even more of patients with epilepsy have what's called a de novo mutation. It's a, a variant in the DNA which is not present in either parent. So it's a new mutational event that occurred in the formation of that child. And when you find it, it's particularly if you find a de novo mutation which is in a gene that makes sense that it could be in autism and it changes the protein structure and it's really complicated but you have to look at all these things that have never been seen before and many other things. In other words, it looks like a mutation and it's new. It almost always in a situation like that is the cause of the disease. 
And while there are likely other modifiers out there that you need to look at, and some of the modifiers might be treatable, now you have a cause of the disease. You have a name and you have a direction. What pathway is it involved with? What kind of treatments can you think of that will be involved in that pathway? So you really need to do that. And you can say, well, why don't you just find the mutation in the, in the child and then see if the parents have it or not? The problem is, is that the average patient has over 30,000 variants. And over 3,000 of them are rare, less than 1% of the population. And so when I'm looking at a sequence, I look at those 3,000 variants. And I will find a lot of variants that may or may not reflect what the child has. And there are many genes that we don't really understand. So while there's many times I do look at it and say, ah, this looks like it is, and then we test the parents, neither of them have it, and we have a diagnosis. There are many other cases in which I'll come up with uh, 30, 50 different candidates that may or may not be related to disease. And then we sequence the parents, and one of them the parents don't have. And I never would have figured that out without sequencing them. So sequencing the parents is extremely important. There are other reasons to do that as well, particularly if there's a family history of disease. A lot of people have Asperger's or ADHD on the mother's or on the father's side of the family. You're looking for sequence variants that are on that side of the family. But it really does make a difference. We call that TRIO or TRIOM testing. When you sequence the three of them together, it's very powerful, and I highly recommend it. And so what are then... You find out what the parents have, what the child has, and then going from there, just knowing if there are susceptibilities for that child, and then the parents' the parents' genomic testing gives you more that you can work with the child. If if the parents aren't having any particular symptoms, like neither parent has autism, but their child has autism, would you be able to gather more information by having those parents um, sequenced, having their 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 genomic background? Um, I think the answers to that complex question are yes, 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 and more complicated. <laughs> um, it, I mean, all of that applies, but a lot more. Um, the computer will look for every single variant in the child and to see which variants come from mom and which variants come from dad. And then every variant that doesn't come from either parent will be flagged. And the Parent, this is important to know. When you do a trio, you're not really looking at the parent's genetics. You're not going to be able to tell them what to do if they have a heart problem or how to treat their um, blood clotting issue. What you're looking at is you're looking at the genes in relationship to the child. So you're looking at everything the child has and to see which parent has it. And if neither parent has it, it's a de novo, and that could be very important. And everything that the child has that is inherited by a parent, well, that can make a difference because if it's a gene which is associated with autism, migraine, and cardiac conduction defects, for example, and many of them do have those susceptibilities, then, and it comes from dad, then you can ask dad and, his, and about his family, does anybody have any of these problems in the family? And if somebody does, then that can give you a lot of information. So... The parent genetics are looked at, but only in relationship to what the child has. So this is important when we do genetic counseling because the parents are going to know, okay, you have my genetics, which means you have the genetics of all the family members as well because they have a lot of the same variants in common. What will this mean for family members? 
So if we find something in the child that is important in the child and it comes from one of the parents, well, obviously that's going to have potential relevance to the parent. And possibly other relatives, siblings, siblings of the parent, a grandparent, aunts and uncles, etc. So there are situations in which genetic findings in the child can cause, um, can give you information about the health and risks of relatives. But it's usually what we're looking for is on-target things, is type of problems that are related to autism. There are also off-target findings. Families can choose whether they want to know off-target findings. If you find a clotting disorder or a predisposition for cancer or something like that, do you want to know about it? Um, medical ethics says that if we find something that we're sure about, it's not a variance of uncertain significance, but we know what it means, and it's treatable if treated early, that we need to say something about it. We won't just leave that go. But for anything that's more nebulous than that, the treatment's not obvious or that the, the disease is not clear, um, it, we leave it up to the family to decide whether they want that information or not. I, mean, I can tell you that out of the last 100 families that I have tested, exactly one said they didn't want that information. Um, it's very rare. Wow. Yeah, I would imagine so, um, because that could be really valuable to know. I can't imagine saying, no, I don't want to know if you have that information, but everybody's got their, their reasoning. Um, We're going to take a short break right here. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas. Please stay with us. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and today we're talking about uh, genetic testing for autism with Dr. Richard Bowles. And uh, one of the things that we mentioned already uh, today, we talked about how some of these specific whole genome testings can give you, tell you which particular, this actual, this software is all with the knowledge, has the knowledge when the testing comes out to say, okay, this person, you know, would benefit from this particular drug or treatment and how much to give because dosage, as we know, especially with children with autism is a very, very important. Um, often they're given too much or too little. So what are these, um, you know, give us some knowledge of some of these treatment options and, um, you know, how these samples are, are taken? Well, first of all, I want to mention while knowledge is very important in and of itself that to know what the cause is, know what the likelihood of another child having the disease, et cetera, the, by far the lion's share of why I do the testing is for treatment. Um, what treatment, what drug, what dose? First of all, the, the treatment that's important may not be a drug. It may be creatine or alpha-ketoglutarate, or it may be avoidance of a toxin or a particular diet. Sometimes the exact treatment for a particular genetic abnormality is not a pharmaceutical, and when the treatment is natural, so much the better. Sometimes the treatment is pharmaceutical. You can't get away from that. But which drug to try out of the thousand drugs that are out there and hundreds of drugs that sometimes are used in autism, which one to use? Oftentimes the genetics can tell me which drugs to do. I hate to use drug treatment before I have a genetic test. I've gotten really spoiled on that. I'll start with, um, with nutritional approaches when I first see them and order the DNA test. But I almost never order drugs anymore until I have the DNA because it tells me, more often than not, it tells me which direction to go. And then finally, okay, you've chosen the drug, but what dose? 
many drugs you can use a wide variety of doses. And as I mentioned before, you may be giving too much or too little. It reduces side effects. It improves the likelihood that the treatment will work if you have, the, if you have that genetic information about what dose to use. Um, to go on to a sample, um, you can use blood, and sometimes that's done, but the vast majority of the time we use um, saliva. The kids spit in the tube. Most kids can spit in the tube, and when given the alternative to a needle, they'll spit. <laughs> they really will. Um, and if they can't because they're an infant or, they're, um, or they have too much intellectual issues, um, you can take a swab and, of their mouth and collect the saliva that way. Saliva can be sent by the mail. That's one of just regular mail, no special handling or anything. That's one of the great things about it. Remember that most stamps and envelopes until recently had saliva on it. So the government realizes, hey, saliva goes in the mail all the time anyway, so why not put it in a bag? So <laughs> that's how we usually do it. It's true. It's really hard, too, with our kids. You know, the less trauma that we can ask them to do, uh, blood draws are, are really traumatic. And, and saliva, like you said, it's so easy if they're non-compliant or, uh, or they're an infant or whatever and they can't spin a tube that you can just take a, a swab and do that. So are there any particular um, samples that you say are better choices and better companies to use? Um, well, there are certainly companies that I think are better than others. Um, I personally have, because I do a lot of testing, I negotiate low rates from the best companies. So I only take the companies that offer excellent product at an excellent service at a good price. And I negotiate rates. And the, the market moves so quickly that what would have been the best company a few months ago is not necessarily and is not the best company today. I mean, I can just say that right now I use Centagene and Variant YX, but because they offer everything that I need. Um, I usually do Centagene for exome when I do order exome. Um, there are many cases like functional disease in which that's important, but for, for autism, mostly lately I've been ordering um, Variant, um, Variant YX, um, but also Centagene. So it, but it moves so quickly that anything I say now will not necessarily, you know, be effective a few months from now and then only a year from now. So how do you know when you're with uh, somebody who is knowledgeable on the current test? How do you find somebody who's like that? How do you find uh, those, um, you know, like you said, that they know the right prices. And also we should talk about does insurance cover this this kind of thing, but knowing who to go to to get the testing done from? What labs are the good ones? So if it's variant YX, um, is that is that an actual lab that you're currently using, or is that the the the, the actual test for uh, any it's for the a lab? It's, it's the laboratory. The laboratory. The laboratory orders the test. It sends out the sequencing and interprets the test. Sequencing is actually done throughout the world based on which I'm. Um, which sequencers are have downtime, and it, it's it's very complicated, but it's sort of a clearinghouse that you can think of it as a laboratory. Um, it's really finding an expert is difficult. Um, you find somebody that you know that they order genetic testing on a routine basis in in autism that they order preferably trio whole genome to find somebody that believes in treatment for autism. I mean, things like ABA and other, and other therapies have their place, but that's not what I'm talking about by finding the cause and directly uh, affecting that. And these, new, uh, uh, these um, educational approaches are important and they should be done with what's, whatever's left after you've treated. 
But I agree. That was exactly like that, my I son's mean, case. For one thing is, I set up um, the Neurogenomic Center at CNNH. That's the Center for Neurological and Neurodevelopmental Health. It's based in Voorhees, New Jersey, but we do telemedicine throughout the country and, in fact, around the world. And we can help decide, you know, with individual patient, which is the appropriate test, negotiate the best laboratories for a lower price than you otherwise would get it and help your doctor with the interpretation. You can also go there as well and have them be your physicians. But that is a resource that we're setting up because the vast majority of doctors really have no idea how to order and interpret genetic testing. Oh, that is perfect. And what is that again, that resource? I will link to these in the show notes, but I'll have to add them later because I don't have them ahead of time. So what, what is that again? It's the Center for Neurological and Neurodevelopmental Health, um, CNNH, CNNH.org. Perfect. I will link to that in the show notes. That would be great because then they're, they're, they're used to this, they're experts, and they know the appropriate test, and then they can help uh, uh, somebody with their doctor's interpretation. Do they also send back an interpretation long distance? Like if you don't have a doctor near you that you're necessarily working with, you can do this test and then send it to the lab and get those results and maybe work via distance, whether it's Skype or phone. Unfortunately, we need to take a quick break here, but and we can answer this when we come back. Um, why don't we do that? We'll take a quick break here uh, and... Uh, and then, um, yeah, stay with us. We'll be right back, and we'll uh, we'll hop right back into that. And- Have you ever wondered why some children recover from their symptoms of autism while others never seem to get any better? After 13 years of research, Karen Thomas has recovered her own son from his symptoms of autism naturally. She now shares how she did it with you in her free webinar so that you can have the right resources and knowledge to help your child. The definition of recovery is to regain health. Karen offers this to you in four stages. Healing the gut, natural heavy metal detoxification, balancing the co-infections of autism, brain support, and repair. Register now for this free webinar to help you know what you can do to help your child to sleep better, be more calm, improve focus, and reach their fullest potential to live a happy, healthy life. Go to naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop. Empowering parents with the resources to naturally recover autism from a mom who's done it. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and today we're talking about genetic testing for uh, autism with Dr. Dr. Richard Bowles. And before the break, we were, before I forget to tell you too, I want to make sure, because we've mentioned some links here and I will be adding them to the show notes, which will be for you, there for you uh, to to resource at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 54. So just so you know that you can go back and grab some of these links later on. Um, But Dr. Bowles, before the break, we were talking about the the option of working at distance with somebody, especially this, this lab in New Jersey. You know, say you're in a, in, a, in a different country as well as, you know, maybe even outside of the, the U.S., anywhere at a distance. Can you work with, with somebody at this laboratory, get the test sent to your door, do the saliva swab at home, and then uh, mail out the test back to the, the lab and then work via distance to get the results with these people? Well, first of all, I can only practice medicine where I'm licensed, and I'm licensed in California, Arizona, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, and Florida. 
So in those states, we can do telemedicine. We can talk on the phone about DNA testing with a physician present. You could go to one of those states and see me in person in Pasadena, California, or go see one of the neurologists in New Jersey. So you have many more options. So the options I'm going to talk about are if you're outside of those states and you're too far from one of those states that you just don't want to travel in. Because, I mean, like New Jersey is really close to the eastern seaboard there. People can, you know, travel from D.C. or from Boston or whatever. So if you're far away or if you're in another country, um, I can talk to your physician. But I can't talk to you directly because otherwise I'm breaking the licensing laws. So what we do is we work with your physician to help them order the right test to give the the physician has to order the test so we can give them an advice. We can help them get negotiated rates for cheaper testing. We can help them with the interpretation and with the treatment. So what will happen is on a telemedicine conversation is the, the physician will discuss the patient. And I usually have seen the medical records ahead of time. And so I really have a good idea of the patient. And then I'll discuss the genetics so that the doctor really has a good idea of the genetics. And then we talk what's likely to be going on in this patient what kind of treatment options are there, what are the pros, what are the negatives for each, and, and to give information to empower the physician as to how to treat this condition. And then the physician can then take it with the family. Um, if it's in one of those states in which we're licensed, um, the family can be on the telephone and ask questions and, at the same time. And I've known that families that have driven across state lines to be in one of those states to join in by a conference um, call. So those are all options. Um, the other thing is that is that pricing has come down a lot. It, it's um, from what it was before. It's come down dramatically. You can do whole genome sequencing if it's cash only for like twenty eight hundred, and it's double that for um, trio, and about a thousand dollars for interpretation. So under seven thousand dollars, you can do it with cash. But insurance companies pay most of the time. Most of the patients are. Um, the insurance company pay for that, and then you just have to pay for the interpretation and the, the physician visit, which may or may not be on insurance. So the, you would pay for the actual, the test is usually covered, and then whether that physician is covered by your insurance just depends on your insurance. Yes, it, the, the, oftentimes the insurance company will pay for the, the testing, but not always, so that, but the testing has come down so dramatically from what it was before. Okay. Well, great. That's uh, that's really great information to know, too, because um, I know that you're an expert and for them to have your resources. So I want to make sure I will link to Dr. Bowles' website and contact information on the show notes page that I have created for you at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 54. That's just the numbers five, four. And uh, also I want to make sure that you do know that I do have my Autism Recovery Masterclass going on right now for just a few more days. I want to make sure you, you grab that while it's still up and you can register for free at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash masterclass. And uh, that can help you on your road to recovery with your child as well. And that's what this is all about is you having the resources that you need and knowing what to do for your child so that you can get the best optimum outcome and the, at the safest possible way. So, Dr. Bowles, I want to thank you so much for being here with us today. I greatly appreciate your expertise and your time because I know you're a busy man and you being here with us to, to share, uh, share your resources. So, so, again, thank you greatly. 
You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Thank you for being here with us. I'm your host, Karen Thomas. And uh, until next week, we will be back here Tuesday at 12 p.m. Eastern. Every Tuesday, join us. Please share the show with others so that they know that this resource exists as well. And uh, have a great week.